Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you do not have a Bible, please throw a hand up, and we got volunteers that are going to hand out Bibles right now to make sure everybody's got one. If you do have a Bible and know your way around it, please turn to John chapter 15. In the hardback black that we're passing out, go to page 897. 897 is going to get you to John 15. We're going to start at verse 18 here in just a moment. So let me start off with the obvious. Not everyone in the room is a millennial. Thank God is right. No need to pool all the stupidity into one room. I've been at churches that were filled with people in their early 30s having children left and right, and it was beautiful, and there were signs of life, but where were the spiritual grandmas and grandpas? And they yearned for it, but they didn't have the blessing that ARCF has. That was for free. Because not everyone here is a millennial... I have to show a video clip of the Lion King because we millennials have this memorized. It was Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible told me so, and remember who you are, I am your father. So uh, these were side by side for those of us growing up in the early 90s. Watch this carefully and ask yourself as you listen, where does identity come from? Where does identity come from? Let's watch this together. Sure do, you move fossils, boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. Don't dawdle, hurry up. Hey, whoa, wait, wait. Come on, come on. Would you slow down? That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. 
You see, he lives in you. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. in just a second. Our current series, it's taking us through John 14, 15, 16. I've called it A Few Last Words because Jesus is speaking to the 11 right before he is betrayed, falsely accused, tortured, and killed. He knows that he's going away and he's saying some things that are of chief importance to him. This is part five, when love meets hate, Let's look at the text, and you're going to go, oh, that's why he entitled it that. Chapter 15, starting at verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Whoa, 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 stop. Where did that come from? Why is Jesus talking about hate? Why is he being such a downer? Everybody read verse 17, the verse right in front of it. What does it say? Right? That break there that most of your Bibles have, where there's a title and a section break, that is the people, the editors, who put together the Bible as best as they can and make subjective choices about where new ideas are started. The original text does not have that. So this is Jesus' words with no break, This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He's juxtaposing how Christians are to be known and how the world is to be known. These ideas go together. Glad we covered that. All right, verse 19. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. 
This fulfills what is written in, the scripture, in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Lord Jesus, teach us your word today, please. We ask this in your precious name, God's people said. Note takers, this one's for the Christians. When you're hated, remember which kingdom you represent? When you are hated, remember which kingdom you represent? There was only one thing that Mufasa got backwards. He said, you've forgotten who you are and therefore you have forgotten me. Actually, the opposite is true. Greg Kaiser loses his way because he forgot his father first. Greg, who adopted you? Who gave you a new name? Who gave you an identity? Who put his righteousness onto you like clothing so you could stand before God as innocent even though in your behavior you're a sinner, you have a right standing purchased by Jesus? Like, who did all that, Greg? See, Peter started sinking into the water when he took his eyes off of Jesus. Not when he forgot who he is. He was, you know. What kingdom are you a part of? Well, that begs a question. Who's the king? Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. We're in suburbia. I thought, I'm the king. Have it my way. I'm allowed to cuss you out if I order a tall macchiato at exactly 117 degrees and you get it wrong. Like, we live in a world that is bent on the consumer. Except I was reading this book that says that our king is a consuming fire. What does that make you or me? (laughs) We were kindling before the cross. We were. That's where we were headed. Jesus said here, when you see spiritual opposition to you as my disciples, don't take it personal. It's actually that they hate me. And even that isn't personal. They hate my father. So guys, and I know this is gonna be hard, but I need to be specific. This wasn't in the notes. Hopefully this is the Lord. We like to take it really personal and make it really, really political when there's a boycott over whether or not a baker has to bake a cake for a gay wedding. Just because Fox and CNN talk about it doesn't make it politics. Jesus said, when they hate you, it's actually them hating me, and even that is them hating the Father. What are we gonna do about this? Guys, if you love Jesus, adopt a perspective of humility and compassion. Humility. I don't have to take this back tack personally. We, we tend to, the First Amendment makes it so tempting to think that if somebody's upset about my Christianity, that they're assaulting my personal rights and therefore it's personal. And Jesus is just saying it's not personal. Adopt a position of humility. This is not actually about me. 
That's humility. This is not about me. I do not have to take it personal. It's big, it's bad, it's dark, but it's really aimed at God. And I happen to be one of his ambassadors, so I have a few bullet holes in me. And you know what? That's okay. Because guess what? I changed allegiance from one kingdom to another. Did I really think? Guys, when there's a war between two kingdoms and you switch sides, does the war stop? No, you're just getting shot at by different people. You're getting shot at by former friends. You might be getting shot at by your own flesh and blood who can't stand that you became a Christian. Maybe literally with what Kevin prayed right now with our siblings in Afghanistan. You were on a war, whether you realized it or not, you were firing at God and his allies. You hated him from the moment you were conceived. You didn't necessarily know it, but you did, and I did. And by the blood of Jesus, he transformed some of us, and we decided to see King Jesus as worthy of worship and honor and praise, and we said, I would love to switch sides. You'll take me? And we switch sides. And you know what happens? We now have an enemy who not only is full-time firing at us, but is begging us to go find the lazy boy and the clicker and tell us that we're not in a war. Humility says, this isn't actually about me. There are a couple of kingdoms at war, And by God's mercy, I was able to switch sides. But this attack is not about me. It's about the king that I represent. I'm on the front lines in a war that is already won. It just hasn't manifest yet. And compassion. If I listen to Jesus' words and I see this battle for what it is, that hatred is not about me personally, but it's about the kingdom that I represent. All of a sudden, I put two and two together and I go, a human being who hates Christians is not my enemy. You couldn't be my enemy if you tried. No human being can ever, ever be my enemy. Because if the king of kings is in charge over here. Who's in charge over here? The prince of the power of the air, the opposer, the accuser, the Satan, who has billions of people enslaved into believing that it's all about them. Scripture says we do not war against flesh and blood. So humility takes me to a place where I go, oh, man, I I can embrace humility because it's not about me. And now I can embrace compassion toward you or you, or you, because you have different positions other than Christianity. You do not like what I believe. You don't like the way I think. You don't like me voting according to my Christianity. Whatever it is you're opposed to, I don't have to take it personal, and I actually don't have to be angry at you at all. I know we don't believe this, so I'll say it again. I don't have to be angry at you, no matter how much you're raging, and you think you're raging against me, but I know that you're actually not you're still in a position of opposition against a king who loves you deeply. And I get to, in the way that I take what comes my way, if I can take it with humility, and if I can take it with some compassion, I might just illustrate the love of God to you. 
if you only had one amen for this entire Sunday morning, that was a really good time. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that you could shine the light of the gospel in the way that you respond to persecution? We've got siblings doing it right now. First few chapters of the Fox's Book of Martyrs are filled with Roman soldiers that get saved watching the way people died at their own hands. I just killed a man earlier today and I saw the way he died. What am I going to do with his Jesus? And that is how the gospel spread like a wildfire during Roman persecution. Christian, when you're hated, remember which kingdom you represent. This is going to help you adopt a perspective of humility and compassion. Emily and I right now volunteer in a girls' group home. And these girls have lots of different challenges and lots of different life experiences, but what holds them together in a common thread is a deep-seated distrust of adults. And if you heard their stories, you wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't trust grown-ups either if I had been through that. And it is interesting and it's heartbreaking that sometimes it's encouraging when you watch somebody take a healthy step forward. Um, it is so, uh, I guess empowering is the word. It's so exciting. When you realize that this person, who their behavior might be pointed at you, it's really about something else. It's not personal. You won't survive even as a staff member in a group home if you take things personal. If you think that person's behavior is about you, <laughs> you're so vain you thought this sermon was about you. It's just not about you. Their past is operating as an enemy, as a foe, and the lies that they have believed because of their past. And the journey in a group home is to take that young person and yourself and convince them, I am standing side by side with you. We're on the same team and we're fighting against your past and we are fighting against lies that you have believed because of your past. Humility. Your behavior is not about me. Compassion. I can see you as an image bearer of God now because I'm, I'm not looking at this with merely human eyes. I see that there are big forces behind the behavior, big forces behind what's going on. Secondly, for you note takers, hatred of God and his church doesn't stop the love of God. It highlights it. Hatred of God and his church doesn't stop the love of God. It highlights it. A couple chapters before in John 13, 35, Jesus had said, this is how the church is going to be known is by their love. My disciples will be known this way. This backdrop, I mean, let's read it one more time. Let's see, let's go into... Let's, let's pick it up at verse 20. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they'll persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. 
They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures, quote, they hated me without cause. But, right, transition, back to what he was saying earlier, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, back to the Holy Spirit, I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. So he, Jesus talks about all this Christian persecution. Where are you going with this, Jesus? Oh, I'm glad you asked, evangelism. I keep railing, guys, against those TV preachers that want to tell you that Christianity is all about you because there's this book. The book unapologetically tells you that if you want to be a follower of Christ, you're going to face sometimes violent opposition and God's not even hiding it. He is telling you that you are going to pay a heavy price at times. The church will, maybe not an individual, maybe you live a relatively comfortable life and get to die of old age, praise the Lord, that's great. Others of us might have a different destiny. He says, you're going to be hated, you're going to be opposed, you're going to be persecuted. In Matthew 5, he says, you're blessed because of it. God, why am I gonna go through all of this? Oh, to get out the glory of my name to the nations. Remember 600 years ago when I said at one point the knowledge of God is gonna fill the world like the water covers the sea? That's gonna happen through the blood of the martyrs. That's not gonna happen easy. If the knowledge and love and fear of God could come easy, it would have happened after Exodus. You know, God comes down on the mountain, says, hey, this is the best possible way to live life. And then like a ripple effect, the whole world just worshiped God and everything was great. Right? No? Where are my Sunday school people at? That didn't happen, did it? Israel couldn't even worship God faithfully, let alone everybody around them. Didn't happen that way. So when the prophet says that the knowledge of God is going to fill the earth as what? As the water fills the sea. Been to the sea? A lot of water? Yeah? Okay, that's a lot. How's that gonna happen? It's not gonna be the first covenant. It's not gonna be God's law given to us on Sinai. It's gonna be something else. And Jesus is telling us right now, you are my followers, look at how they treat me. It's because they hate God. They're gonna do it to you. Don't take it personal. They hate your father. They hate me. So they're gonna hate you. What's this all about, Jesus? You spreading the good news of who I am to those opponents. And maybe, just maybe, some of those opponents will become friends. I don't know, Saul of Tarsus sword in hand, letters of authority in hand to drag Christians away in chains. Do you think Saul of Tarsus had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before that point when Jesus showed up? Hmm? You bet he'd heard it. He was a devout Jew who had studied and studied and studied and studied. You don't go off killing people unless you know what they teach and you've decided you're raging against it. Are there still souls of Tarsus in 2021, ARCF? Yeah, 
really religious people that really, really believe that they're right in our text. I think it was in our text or was it something else I was studying this week? I'm drawing a blank about where in scripture it was, but the Bible says, oh yeah, I think it is in, in this text. People will think they're doing God a favor. They'll think they're doing something holy by killing you. God told us that in advance. Whoa. So, um, also not in the notes. Those of you who are not sure what you think of Christianity yet and you're trying to kick the tires. Jesus, out of his mercy, forgiving your sin, giving you right standing with God so that you could walk into heaven as if you were innocent. Is it worth it? Is it okay if there is suffering in this life when you switch teams? Is eternity a lot longer than whatever short whisper of a, a breath of a life we get here? The promises of God are repeated in stereo throughout the scripture. And none of them, none of them, none of them promise that there won't be suffering. He said, I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I didn't take you out of that valley. I'm just with you. I'm with you. Can the darkness defeat the light? I have one vote for no. Where are my physics people at? If you put darkness and light in the same room, what happens? Light wins, and it wins at the speed of light, not at the speed of darkness. <laughs> that should tell us something. Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons I've spent three years begging you to tell your tel turn your television off is there are entire media business models built around telling you how dark things are, but you feel informed. And Jesus keeps saying, um, I'm winning, yo. I'm winning, always been winning, always will be. The Almighty God has, God has never lost a battle. Armageddon is not something that the church is gonna show up at with our popcorn going, oh, this is a little bit tense. What's gonna happen? God versus Satan, ah! No, it's gonna be over in the first three seconds of round one and people are gonna be at the box office demanding their money back because it was a lousy fight. Love destroys hate. It sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Specifically, the greatest love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Light defeats dark. Love defeats hate. Not love as we defined it, as Jesus defined it, laying down his life for his friends, the cross. Brothers and sisters, some of you need to turn off your television because it is impossible for the elders and staff of this church to get you as encouraged and bold and courageous as you ought to be when we're fighting against that black box. You're on the winning side. 
I have 45 minutes on a Sunday to tell you that you're on the winning side. We have whatever small groups or Bible studies you choose to be a part of, however often this book is open in your lap during the week to convince you that you're on the winning side. But we cannot control what you choose to listen to. We can't. If we need to choose humility and compassion when we relook again at who our king is, and that he's the one who's actually opposed by the darkness, and if we can see that hatred of God, hatred of his church, it doesn't stop the church, it doesn't stop the purposes of God. In fact, it highlights the love of God in Christians. It sounds like everything's gonna be okay. It may be very hard. It could cost you your physical life. But in the cosmic sense, everything's gonna be okay. Jesus has made it really clear the light's gonna win. Love is gonna win. Stephen got stoned to death. Does that sound fun? He might not have even been 25 years old. Having people throw rocks at you until you're gone. And let me ask you a question you know the answer to. Does Stephen have any regrets? Do you think Stephen's sitting in heaven going, oh man, I wish I had got the chance to be married. Man, I wish I had the chance to have kids. Man, it would have been cool to have grandkids. I would have liked to have gone see Italy. No! Because in the presence of your creator who is the very source and definition of all beauty and everything that is majestic and everything that is honorable, everything else pales. Stephen has no regrets. And neither will you. When you're in the front of the one who was pierced for your sake, for the sake of his whole church, you are not going to have any regrets. You won't. There's not going to be any sorrow. There'll be no more brokenness. There will be some scars. And you're going to look to them and be reminded of what happens to all the other scars. Our brother Joshua, many moons ago, Moses had just died. And God says to him, repeatedly, be strong and courageous. Why would Joshua have to be told that? Any thoughts? You get promoted at work. You're in charge of the office now. And the last guy went up the mountain to actually meet with God, and his face shined when he came back down the mountain. He smashed Pharaoh by holding up his stick and all of the plagues. That was the guy before you. So what are you going to do, Joshua? Are you going to do some cool tricks? Joshua had to find his own identity. He's like, I can't do all those tricks, but I have a sword. You guys need to go read Joshua. That was hilarious. He killed a ton of people. It was amazing. He did lead the people of God. He led them in a very different way than Moses did. But he's at the beginning of leading. And God says over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Was that because Joshua was awesome? Where are my Bible scholars at? Why did God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? 
What did God say? Because I'm with you. I'm with you in this valley. I'm with you in that valley. I'm with you in the shadow of death. In fact, one day my name is going to be Emmanuel, God with you. And in Revelation 4, three different times in a row, it says God is with them, God is with them, God is with them. The church's courage is from who our king is and that he is with us. Hatred, what should we be responding with? Humility, compassion, courage. Courage, that's one of your blanks. I'm sorry, I changed it to confidence, same idea. You know that your king is victorious. Adopt this perspective. It's not a confidence in yourself, but in your king. There was a man once upon a time. He knew he had a wealthy uncle, but he had been estranged from the family for a long time. And one day he gets word that that uncle has passed away without any heirs and he is the only living relative and he's inheriting an estate that is worth tens of millions of dollars. Even though he never met this uncle. Can't believe it. And he needs to go down to the bank to sign some papers to make everything official. And he hops in his car And on the way to the bank, he's only a mile away from the bank. He's really close. He gets a flat tire. What is the appropriate response right now? You're inheriting tens of millions of dollars. You're a mile from the bank. The tire is flat. You're on the side of the road. What do you do? Oh, why does this always happen to me? A flat tire, this is the worst. Do you know how tires, they're so expensive. I didn't renew my AAA membership. You know how much it's gonna be to tow this thing? Ah! No? Or do you think he's going to pretend he's six and he's gonna skip the last mile down to the bank to become a multimillionaire? You take those keys and you toss them to the nearest stander by. The car's yours. What does the car matter? How can the tire matter? These temporary circumstances are not fake. They are real, but they are put in perspective in light of an inheritance and in light of a victory that has been purchased by our Savior. Our King has adopted us into a glorious kingdom with a glorious inheritance of God himself. And I can look at every flat tire for what it is. It's just a flat tire. I know it feels big. I know it hurts and it is real. It's completely real. It's not fake. It's real. It could be worse than that. But there is perspective given There is courage that is given. There is confidence that is given when I remember who I am, who is my father, who is my king, what kingdom am I a part of? Of course there's opposition. I opposed him before he changed my heart. Why wouldn't everybody else oppose him? That's what Genesis 3 is. All humanity decides to oppose him. Totally, yeah. I'm not shocked anymore that bullets are flying. 
Nope, not shocked. I've got confidence. I can adopt a position of humility. I can adopt a position of compassion on those that are still on the other side of the combat. Brothers and sisters, I believe Jesus, in the face of hatred, is, con- is calling us toward these three things. I want you to chew on it, mull it over. If I'm wrong, then toss it. Replace it with something else. But I think this is what the Lord would have us do in response to the darkness. We don't lose heart. We don't quit. We keep fighting. Gates of hell, big squirt guns. Let's go. Let's go. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to save people today because they've heard your gospel and that's how you've sovereignly ordained that you're going to save. Those of us, God, that you've already saved us from ourselves and from our sin, I ask that you would make purposeful uh, conviction of the heart right now in each of us and as a church family that we would encourage each other the way the scripture tells us to, that we would read the Bible as the scriptures tell us to, so that we would remember who our king is, that we would not be allowed to forget what kingdom we're a part of. God, give us so much confidence and boldness and optimism as we raise kids and raise grandkids. God, protect our children from some of our poor decision-making. Do not let them growing up thinking that they have to play defense, even though it might feel that way culturally. God, give us a boldness so that our kids grow up knowing who their daddy is and knowing that victory has already been purchased and that this is why we celebrate Good Friday and why we celebrate Easter. Make our kids into courageous missionaries into the culture. Make our grandkids courageous in knowing who their king is. And make them that, God, because of the example we set. We thank you for purchasing every victory by your blood and by your emptied tomb. And we ask for your help to walk in that victory. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's check out some announcements. Well, good morning, ARCF family. The Adopt a Backpack Drive is well on its way. Have you picked up your backpacks yet? You haven't? Is that because you don't like kids? Okay, did the guilt trip work? Good. According to Gloria, we started off with millions of backpacks. In other words, we have a lot. Now, I don't know how many are left, so if you are able and willing to be a part of this awesome giving opportunity, then I want to encourage you to make sure you stop by the Adopt-A-Backpack table on your way out and sign out a few backpacks, or a hundred, or a million. And don't forget to fill up those backpacks and have them returned here by September 12th so they can be shipped out. Thank you in advance for your generosity. I know the kids in the Philippines are going to love it. The Fall Disciple Groups are coming soon. As a matter of fact, sign up start today on the sign up table in the back of the sanctuary. Now, one of the great things about disciple groups is the intimate setting of a small group. 
and it's a great opportunity to get to know individuals in your church family better. It's a time where we break bread together, dive into God's word together, and pray together. Disciple groups go beyond what we can do here on a Sunday morning, and it's a safe place to allow anyone to open up, pray for each other, and surround each other with love. So we really want to encourage you to sign up for one of these disciple groups. Make sure you stop by the sign-up table on your way out. All right, men, cover your ears because this next announcement is for the ladies. All right, ladies, the CWC Fall Convention is coming to ARCF on Saturday, October 16th. And the speaker this year is Patsy Oda, the author of Heart's Desire. And she'll be encouraging you through her life story. Now, if you register before October 9th, the cost to attend this event is only $25. You can head over to myarcf.com forward slash CWC to register for your spot. All right, man, you can uncover your ears now. So ladies, make sure you mark your calendars for October 16th and get registered as soon as possible. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back for more events and more information. 